3: From KQED.
4: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, a California company's chicken was cleared by the FDA last month as safe to eat. The reason that's notable? their chicken is grown in a lab. And it's the first time the Food and Drug Administration has greenlit a so-called cultivated meat product. But whether people will flock to this form of meat is unclear, especially as demand for meat-like products made from plants, like Impossible or Beyond Burgers, is showing signs of cooling. We check in on the latest efforts to get Americans to satisfy their meat cravings with alternatives after this news. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. Alternatives to meat and meat production have come a long way. Two decades ago, alt-meats were impossible to confuse with animal meats. Tofu, seitan, they didn't even try to fool consumers. Then came corn with a Q, and we inched closer to a viable plant-based alternative – In recent years, companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat have introduced plant-based burgers and chicken nuggets that look and feel like the real thing, as more consumers seek out something meaty without killing animals and with a smaller environmental footprint. But alt-meat fever has cooled, according to one of our guests, even as it continues to make scientific advances – We learn more this hour, and let me tell you who with. Laura Riley is a business of food reporter for The Washington Post. Laura Riley, so glad to have you on.
5: Thanks so much, Mina. Great to be here. Also with us is
4: David Julian Clements, a distinguished professor in food sciences at the College of Natural Sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. David Julian Clements, thanks so much for being. Mick Clements, thanks for being with us as well.
6: Yes, thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be on the show.
4: Well, I'm going to start with you, Laura. Plant-based burgers, they've been around for a long time, but only recently have they become truly popular. Why were Impossible and Beyond Burgers such game changers?
5: Well, because there's much greater verisimilitude, right? I mean, they're much more meat-like, for better or for worse. I mean, I think we all remember those Boca Burger pucks from back in the day, uh, or Tofurky. Uh, there, there were a lot of things that that no one was really going to confuse with the real deal. But in 2019, these products debuted that largely benefit from uh, heme, which it kind of allows the 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 Maillard reaction, so that you can kind of brown it. It bleeds like real meat. It has that kind of mouthfeel or textural chew like the real deal. So it's something that appeals much more, not so much to the vegetarian or vegan as to the the omnivore or those who are flexitarian. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, yeah, just an, an all new target market really.
4: So are you an omnivore or a flexitarian and do you like it? Do you like Impossible and Beyond Burgers?
5: I am an omnivore and I have to say now when I have a a night where you're, you know, a Tuesday night and work goes late and you just want to eat something, I'll say like, yeah, let's just do a burger. And by burger, I often do mean a beyond or an impossible. Hmm. And so the industry
4: took off, but what were the signs that it had gone mainstream? Was it when fast food really embraced it or started to at least?
5: Sure. So the impossible Whopper was kind of a a pivotal moment, but I really think that the, um, what got the biggest boost really is the pandemic. So at the beginning of the pandemic, so these launches were in 2019, you know, we saw that crazy IPO from beyond Um, and then we were all stuck at home. And I think we were cooking more. We were looking for something new. A lot of us were willing to try it, you know, maybe just in in the name of entertainment. So I think there was a huge boost in the early part of 2020 as a lot of us uh, embrace these things at retail, and it's it's kind of reversed since then. We've seen this year a 10 percent reduction in retail sales. Um, and you know the, we'll, we'll probably get into the reasons for some of that, but it really was a, a serendipitous moment for these products to launch. Yeah, give us
4: a quick overview as to why you think this industry has slowed to touch, uh, consumer demand has slowed to touch, what kind of bumps in the road has it seen?
5: Well, I, I think the the big issue is price parity. I mean, we are, as everyone knows, from looking at their their wallet the past few months. You know, all of this inflation has made us a little more cautious at the grocery store. Um, and these products for the plant-based beef, they're still two times as expensive as the real deal. And for the plant-based chicken nuggets, they're about four times as expensive mm-hmm. as as real chicken nuggets. So you know, you you have to kind of make that make that call that it's worth that additional price for you. Um, and then there are the kind of fuzzy health benefits. You know, you know, people are reading these long ingredient lists and saying, well, methylcellulose is that? Do I want to be eating that? So so that's something that you know can be made better certainly they can make these products healthier for now they've mostly been um focused on making them as um analogous or as uh, kind of identical to the real thing as possible um and another reason they might have cooled a little bit is there are too many players in the field you know there are 60 brands right now with over 500 thousand dollars in sales each mm-hmm. and you know if you look at the alt milk side there are maybe 40 of those, so you know it may just be like too too big a scrum right now uh, for everybody to be making money. Um, and then you know I think that a lot of us have ha- those of us who cook have found that maybe these products so far lack a little versatility. Um, they're patties, they're nuggets, they're not things that you necessarily use as ingredients. You know they're not like a whole muscle cut that you would chop up and put in a stir fry in lieu of a, you know, a pork or a chicken. So there needs to be a greater versatility brought to bear on some of these things.
4: Right, right. Well, uh, Julian McClemens, I want to talk a little bit more about what Laura brought up is fuzzy health benefits. What are most of these big popular plant-based alt meats made of?
6: Yeah, I think um, mainly one of the main functional ingredients is plant proteins, which can come from a variety of different sources or things like soybeans or wheat, or corn or peas or mung beans. Uh, And each of those proteins is uh, different in terms of its ability to make meat, but also in its uh, nutritional profile. But they also contain all sorts of other ingredients. So things like binders and um, gelling agents and emulsifiers and preservatives and colours and flavours and vitamins and minerals. So they do have a very long ingredient list. Uh, and I think just because they are, I mean, I think they are ultra processed foods, but just because they are ultra processed doesn't necessarily mean that they're unhealthy for you. But it doesn't. Uh, but in many cases, they are less healthy than the, um, the, the product that they're designed to replace.
4: They're less healthy than an animal meat burger.
6: In, in some cases, I think they are. I mean, I think we've, we've been looking at not just plant-based meats, but also, you know, plant-based cheeses and milks and
1: and,
6: um, uh-huh. eggs and things like that. And they've often got, you know, for example, plant-based cheeses might have no protein in it and they're full of saturated fat and starch. So if you replace normal cheese with a plant-based cheese, it could have some very um, detrimental health, you know, not, you know, detrimental health effects. So I think it's really important that we design these um, products cor- um, correctly.
4: Well, you said that plant-based meats are highly processed, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. What do you mean?
6: Well, I think, you know, we we all need processing for our food because, you know, if we didn't process them, um, first of all, they could be unsafe because they've got harmful microorganisms or toxins in which are removed by the processing operations. I think secondly, it increases the the sustainability of the food system because if if you don't process them, they will go off quicker and you have to throw them away, so you create a lot of food waste. Um, But when you do process them, you break down lots of the cellular structure that would be normally present in the plant, and that means that they tend to get digested much more quickly in your gastrointestinal tract, and that can lead to things like spikes of sugar in your bloodstream, which eventually could lead to overeating and things like diabetes. So I think it is really important to understand um, how to design these foods and how they behave after we eat them so that we can make sure that they, they are actually healthy for us.
4: As a vegetarian, do you like them and how often do you eat them?
6: <laughs> these yeah, but I, I, I'm never a, a huge burger fan anyway. I mean, I didn't really go to fast food places very often, but I do eat them occasionally, maybe like once every two weeks or something like that once a month. But I do like it. I like both the Impossible Burger uh, and the Beyond Meat Burger and, and lots of other um, plant-based foods as well.
4: Well, let me ask our listeners, uh, do you eat alternative meat, uh, the simulated meat that is uh, based on plants? Why or why not? Or have you stopped or slowed down buying plant-based meat, as there has been a little bit of that um, happening in the industry? And if so, why? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at KQED forum. You can always call us, 866 866- Seven three three six seven eight six eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Julian, Laura also noted that the lack of versatility of this meat may also be part of the reason that things have slowed a bit. Why is it so hard to, say, make like a cut of meat as opposed to the ground beef or the nuggets?
6: Yeah, I think foods are one of the products that we, you know, we come across every day in our lives, and we often assume that they're sort of very commonplace, everyday simple materials but they're actually incredibly complex materials. Um, you know, If you look at, like, the nano, you know, at the nanoscale level in them and going upwards, they, they've got billions of different molecules which are organized into these very complex structures. And um, that determines things like what they look like and what they taste like and how they behave in, in our mouths and then how they break down in our, um, our bodies after we eat them. And I think it's extremely complicated to try and replicate um, meat products using plant-based ingredients. And I think one well, of the examples one of the Yeah, examples, go right I, ahead, please. Sorry, one of the examples I give in my class, I teach a class on what's called Future Foods. And the, um I try to show students how complicated this is. And I say, well, imagine that you're trying to make a carrot or an apple from a meat product, like from beef. And you can see like if you're going from like using beef to make an apple or a you know a pear or something like that is incredibly complicated. And it's the same going the other way, but I think we're just so used to these plant-based products we don't realize how complicated it is.
4: Yeah, it's it's really true when I try to think about how you are going to approach trying to create something that is like something else that's got to be really tough. Really quick, we're coming up on a break, Laura, but one last thing I wanted to ask you. Are restaurants buying into this um at the level
5: that we talked about fast food but maybe more fine dining and so on? So, Impossible had a really great strategy in the beginning of um, getting widespread adoption via restaurants. So chefs in recent years are kind of the taste makers. They normalize new foods for us. They, they get us enthusiastic about things that we might be squeamish about cooking on our own. But in order to really scale up and make some serious money, it has to be more than the, the independents and the, the kind of upscale restaurants. Um, it has to be McDonald's. Um, so unfortunately... Some of the big fast food restaurants have not had a lot of buy-in. Um, they, the, Mc, the McDonald's launched the McPlant earlier this year, and it was kind of a bust. You know, they launched it in the San Francisco Bay Area and in Dallas-Fort Worth area and um, didn't do well in either place. And unfortunately, the franchisees were really upset because they had to make them to order meaning they couldn't just make up a whole bunch of them and like, bing, 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 they go out the door in the drive-thru. So every time someone ordered one, it would slow down that drive-thru line by a couple minutes. And as we know, I mean, at this point at fast food, 85% of sales are in that drive-thru line. So it's imperative that it moves Mm. really swiftly. So So if you don't, if you can't scale up sufficiently, um, you know, you're you're not going to adopt it.
4: We'll talk more about Alt Meats after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow, the year in film. You can tell us your picks for best and worst films of 2022 and why ahead of the show by leaving a voicemail at 415 553 Three three zero zero. Today we're talking about the alt meat industry and the issues that it's facing and where it's headed. Now that simulated meat made from plants has gone mainstream, and the FDA has just greenlit its first cultivated meat product. Julian McClements is distinguished professor of food sciences at the College of Natural Sciences at the University of Massachusetts. McClements is also the author of Future Foods. How modern science is transforming the way we eat, and also meatless—the next food revolution. Laura Riley is business and food reporter at the Washington Post, and you, our listeners, are also on the line. Shifra in Santa Rosa, you're on. Thanks for calling.
2: Hi, I just wanted to call and say I I've been vegetarian my whole life, and I prefer just an original
3: garden burger. I've tried a lot of the meat product or the meatless, you know, the fake meat
2: products, and I just don't. I don't prefer them. That, that's <laughs> all. I just wanted to comment.
4: Yeah, are you finding though that you can still get veggie burgers as frequently, or some? I have heard no. I veg- actually yeah. cannot
5: find the garden burger, which is very frustrating because that's our favorite, and it's I don't I don't know what happened to it. <laughs>
4: yeah, I wonder if these impossible or Beyond Burgers are replacing them. Well, Shifa, thanks for the call. Thank you so much. Let me go to JC in Mill Valley. Hi, JC. Yes. Hello. How are you this morning? Great. I have to say
7: that I I've always been a want to be uh, vegetarian, and I've tried it several times and did not thrive when it was just soy, you know, uh, what I want to say tofu available and things. Um, but I was saying that I I have actually broken down in tears when I tasted my first ground beef uh, that I made from Impossible Burger, and I just said, oh my God, the the reduction in in You know, if if this can be not like a vegetarian who doesn't prefer it to taste like meat, but if it can be something that the general population in multiple countries around the world could switch to a plant-based meat like this that is as satisfying as actual dead cows, that this is something that could save our world so much strife uh, ecologically and also just the the sheer decrease in suffering of the animal population in the world. And also... Gardane makes really good, um, they're like chicken nuggets. They, they're imperceptibly different. You cannot tell them from real chicken. And also, to, to um, them also have to go off, they make a really good uh, little crab cakes that taste imperceptible. And I just hmm. see this as ecologically the future. You know, I'm very excited about it, even though you're talking about a little decrease in the purchasing currently it used to be one skinny row at the grocery store, right? In the frozen food section, you'd have to run up and down aisles to find it. Now there's sometimes there's two whole cabinets full and you're right. It's a big playing field, but I think that it's very adoptable by the general population who would normally consume huge amounts of chicken and Mm. beef and things like this. So there'll always be a need for small family farms. I'm not saying about cutting it out altogether, but, the giant factory farms is this kind of a disgrace, kind of a painful life denigrating thing. And I, and I just like the idea that we could switch to something much more life affirming. And, uh, I feel very much like I thrive on this stuff. So, All right. well, JC, I,
4: I'm so glad to hear it. it. It created such a joyful, hopeful moment for you. Let me get Rebecca from Sacramento in here next Hi, Rebecca, you're on.
2: Hi, thank you. Um, I'm, I just want to give a little bit of pushback uh, to what your guest said about yes, you don't have cuts of meat, so called cuts of meat, um, but there are so many um, alternatives. Like you have crumbles for making, you know, so called beef crumbles. So you could make tacos, you could make soups, whatever. You have. Um, Sausages and then sausage crumbles. You have uh, sliced meat that I'm mean, meat in quotes. That's <laughs> fabulous. Um, yeah. Oh, roast, so you're saying the the versatility
4: things. is greater than we may think with what
2: is available. It, is that what you it mean? It is more versatile. There are even chicken strips that you could throw in stir fry or whatever you want to put put in. So there mm. is a little bit of. Um, choice as for other things and and i agree with uh your previous caller there who said that garden i mean they make some sausage that honestly and Tofurky does too that you would I- i've made it for uh and they had no idea it wasn't meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really good and <laughs> it is nice to see such an expanded selection since i've uh stopped eating meat now i it used to be so limited and now it's just prolific and it's it's wonderful great place often i have found with really for some reason better uh choice sometimes than the grocery stores are um grocery outlets
4: (laughs) wow well rebecca i'm Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for sharing some ideas, actually, for ways to use alt meats as well. Laura, we're really hearing some enthusiasts here. So I guess the question really is whether or not some of this cooling that we've seen in the market is a blip or if it really points to long-term problems. I do want to read a couple of comments from listeners who are asking about the environmental impact of alternative meat. So Robert writes, I would love to buy the non-meat products, but have yet to find one that is non-GMO and organic. Have I overlooked a company that is making delicious organic non-GMO patties? And Noel tweets, is the environmental impact less than factory farming? So what can you tell us about the basically the environmental promise of alternative meats, that it is far less of an impact, and also about Robert's frustrations around non-GMO and organic.
5: Well, so in the United States, corn and soy is by and large GMO. So if you can source um, some of these products that are maybe yellow pea or other ingredients that will will be not you know, will not be uh, GMO. So the bigger issue, you know, so the adoption of this is partly about enthusiasm for alt meat for plant based or cultivated, but it's also about antipathy for traditional animal ag. And I think that the case, the bad press in the past, you know, couple years about big meat um, is pervasive you know I mean we had we just had the UN you know, cop27 a couple weeks ago in, in Egypt and for the first time the food system really took center stage. There were three pavilions at this at this you know conference. About the food system, and a lot of the data that was being discussed was the impact of traditional animal ag. I mean, there was a the Stockholm Environmental Institute, uh, I think maybe two weeks ago, came out with something that they said animal-based food is responsible for 20% of greenhouse gas emissions, and there's no and biodiversity loss. So there's no way that we're going to get to that, you know, 1.5 degrees Celsius warming uh, level, you know, of the the Paris Accord. Um, if we persist in um, animal ag the way we have, I mean, global meat consumption has doubled since 1990. So we have to do something. And this is obviously one massive opportunity um, if, we, if we embrace it.
4: Sure. But, Julian, Impossible Foods, for example, claims that its soy based burger uses 87% less water, takes 96% less land, 89% lower greenhouse gas emissions than a beef burger, and other companies make you know, not dissimilar claims. So why recently has it felt like the alt meat industry has been taking a hit in terms of its environmental impact?
6: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, there's been a lot of life science analysis studies being done. And I think, like you said, they've all shown that, you know, it's around 90% decrease in, you know, key things like um, water use and pollution and greenhouse gas emissions So I think there is a very strong argument for the um, environmental sustainability of of these products. Um, Is it
4: because of the way plants, the plants are grown or farmed or processed?
6: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, there's lots of the farm, you know, plants like soybeans, we we eat ourselves and we use to make these um, kinds of burgers. And they're the same things that are eaten by cattle. And it takes, you know, about 10 times more land to raise cattle as it does to raise food for humans. So... You know, if even if the soybeans were were environmentally unfriendly, they'd be ten times more unfriendly for the for the cattle. So I think there is. I mean, I think of all the things, I think the environmental argument is probably the strongest. Well, the ethical argument and the environmental argument are probably the strongest for switching to a plant-based diet. I think the health one is the most um, sort of questionable one, and the one that we need to work on the most.
4: Mm, less than so much the environment. Well, let me go to Val in Berkeley. Hi, Val. You're on. Hi. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not clear if the last
7: caller just pointed this out, but Impossible Burger is made with genetically modified organisms and Beyond Burger is not. And mm. for me, that is really significant yeah. um, to not be using my body as a, you know, grand
4: scale experiment with genetic modification. Well, thanks. And Laura, Val's right. I understand that Impossible has embraced GMOs and Beyond Meat says it's going GMO free.
5: Yes, so that that is true. And you can really look on the label. It's it's mandatory uh, to list on the front of package and the back of the package, whether there are GMOs present. Um, so, you know, everyone can kind of uh, purchase their via their their moral compass on that front. Um, you know, and, and, and moving forward, certainly there are going to be lots of products that raise a lot of interesting ethical questions. <laughs> and when we started talking about the kind of cultivated meat space. And yeah. that to me is just a, a fascinating um, new arena for alt meat that this is um, meat that is made from, you know, more or less from a punch biopsy from a living animal that is grown in a bioreactor into tissue that, that can be used. So it it um, involves live animals, but there is you know almost no animal cruelty involved in, in this. Um, And obviously the kind of geographic footprint and the, the feed associated and foodborne illness risk and all of these other things are really minimized in this environment. But then you ask yourself, well, Is a vegetarian or a vegan going to be amenable to eating cultivated meat, or are they going to stick with these plant-based versions? And, and, uh, you know, kind of it remains to be seen. Yeah, well,
4: let's turn now to cultivated meat. And let me bring into the conversation for this Amy Chen, who is the COO of Upside Foods. This is a company based in Emeryville here in California that just got the sign off from the FDA for its cultivated chicken. Amy Chen, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I imagine the reaction at Upside when FDA approval came through was, was pretty great.
3: There was a lot of cheering and screaming and jumping up and down. Uh, <laughs> this is a moment that the team has been working for for many, many years. And it's an incredibly important milestone, not only in the history of our company, but really in the future of food. And I think this is the first time that the U.S. FDA, which is widely regarded as the preeminent regulator in the world, has thoroughly investigated, um, read, and signed off and given a green light um, to a new way of producing the meat that we love.
4: So Laura mentioned punch biopsy. So basically you're growing the chicken meat from cells. How is this made? What does cultivated chicken mean?
3: It's a great question. And I think uh, what we have found is that as people dig into it a little bit deeper, it's a little bit less scary and intimidating than it might sound on first blush. Um, But essentially what happens is you take a sample of cells. Now it could be, as Laura mentioned, from a live animal. It can also be from a fertilized egg um, or from another recently slaughtered animal. And there's a variety of different ways to do that. You then select the highest quality cells. So we select specifically for cells that taste great, that grow well. You essentially put these into what we call a cultivator uh, that looks similar to a stainless steel tank that you might brew or see beer brewed in. And then you feed it nutrients. So in the way that a chicken cell might actually get, normally get nutrients and the chicken eats corn or seed or grasses, uh, we feed uh, the chicken cells essentially the micro macro nutrients um, that it needs to grow and thrive. We let it uh, do its thing and happy cells like to produce more cells um, and delicious meat. And then after anywhere from seven to 14 days, you can harvest it and form it into any product that you want.
4: And it. It tastes like chicken and cooks like chicken, right, Jamie?
3: It does. It, it actually fits very well into the old adage but it tastes like chicken. Um, and I remember my first moment of experiencing upside chicken. Um, I was, have been in the food industry for my entire life and had been studying this sort of from a, afar. Um, and had the opportunity to come and meet with the team here. And I'm watching this piece of chicken cooking. Um, And it's searing just like a chicken would. It's smelling and browning all in the right way. And, you know, I cut it with my knife. I pierce the fork into it. I put it in my mouth and there's all these eyes and everyone's looking at me. What do you think? I said, well, it tastes like chicken. (laughs) Um, And it's simultaneously the most remarkable and the most unremarkable thing that I've ever tasted. Um, And I think that's exactly what we want um, as we're thinking about new ways of making very familiar foods.
4: And who are the consumers that you are really aimed at? Laura raised the question of whether, say, vegetarians or vegans would, well, it wouldn't be them, right? Is it lapsed <laughs> vegetarians or what is the market for this?
3: You know, I would actually say I'm probably a pretty good representation. So I am from Texas and I love meat, but I'm what I would call a consistent carnivore. So I am educated and know about the challenges with animal welfare I know as um, several of your, um, your guests talked about earlier, the massive impact that conventional meat has on land, on water, on greenhouse gases, yet I love meat and I don't wanna make the compromises from a taste, versatility perspective um, that are required for other alternatives. So this is really aimed at people who love meat um, and don't want to give that up per se, but want to have that choice be healthier and better for the environment and for the world.
4: So, Laura, how how does this open up all kinds of possibilities? This first FDA approval of cultivated of cultivated meat. I, I'm just really curious. The broader cultivated meat industry. What well now so, will happen? It's,
5: there's still a long way to go. So, I, let's not get the cart before the horse or the cow or whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> um, no, so it's or still chicken. it needs yeah or the chicken. I, I don't I don't know if a chicken can pull a cart, but um, no, so it still needs USDA labeling framework. Um, there's a lot of reason to, th- I mean, Upside really did its due diligence, put one foot in front of the other. I know that the FDA is working with, you know, more than a dozen other companies right now um, in a similar framework. And so w- really what the FDA said two weeks ago was, we have no more questions about its safety for human consumption. So it's, you know, that's the first part of the green light, and there's reason to think the USDA labeling will uh transpire in 2023. There's enough momentum. Right now, the only place on planet Earth that you can legally eat cultivated meat is Singapore. But I think that there's reason to believe we may be number two, you know, and there there are other parts of the world where there's a lot of enthusiasm for this right now. Um, Israel is a country that has had a lot of uh, innovation and excitement around this. And the Netherlands also is a place where there's been a lot of, uh, you know, kind of Um, investment money and public private ventures to push this forward. So, you know, it'll be kind of a race to the market this next year or two for some of these products. Um, But I think it's the kind of thing that you get the first, maybe upside will be it that, you know, it's the first one through the door. And after that, it'll be a little bit pro forma to get these next products uh, approved.
4: Right. Right. You cannot buy these products. Now, Julian, I'm curious if you see challenges in getting consumers to embrace cultivated meat and what you've heard?
6: Yeah, I mean, just speaking as a a vegetarian, um, I mean, I was always, like when I first heard about it, I was like, well, I'm not gonna touch that. But I think the more I I think about it, the more I've researched about it, I think it's very challenging using plant-based foods to get the right sort of flavor and nutritional profile as you can get with real meat. So I think there is some big advantages to this, um, you know, developing this technology uh, in the future, and I think, uh, as I always say, it's still a long way to go. I think in terms of scale up, uh, I think it's you know you, we need to like you know scale up a thousand times or ten thousand times to actually match the uh, the beef industry. Um, but I do I do think it's very very promising if consumers can get over it over this. You and mean like if-
4: a a yuck factor? I think is is a word that you used. Yeah. And we yeah, just have 10 time. seconds before the break. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah,
6: There's a yuck factor eating it from a, you know, like a bioreactor, but there's a bigger yuck factor to me of eating it from a live animal. Mm,
4: yeah. Well, we'll have more about alternative meats and cultivated cultivated meats after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
1: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
4: We're looking at the latest efforts to get Americans to satisfy their meat cravings with less of the health and environmental impacts. Alternatives to meat and meat production have come a long way from simulated meats that are plant-based to cultivated meats or meats, real meat that is grown from cells in a lab. We're talking about the Amy Chen, COO of Upside Foods, a manufacturer of cultivated meats based in Emeryville, California, also Julian McLements, is Distinguished Professor of Food Sciences at the College of Natural Sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Also, McClements is the author of Meatless, The Next Food Revolution. Laura Riley is with us, business and food reporter for The Washington Post. And you, our listeners, are telling us what you think of plant-based alternative meats that taste like the real thing. And also, if you want to tell us if you would try cultivated meat once it's available, why or why not, if you are actually a meat eater, you can email forum at kqed.org, post on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at kqedforum, and you can always call us. 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786, 733 6786 Michael writes, I get a bag of food every week from the San Francisco Marin Food Bank, which is included several times beyond burger patties. They are surprisingly meaty and with all the fixings are indistinguishable from beef in my limited experience. Trish writes, if you don't want to eat meat, either for philosophical or health reasons, what is the point of eating anything that emulates its taste or texture? Just eliminate it in any form from your diet and move on. Jennifer writes, plant-based meat to me is like diet soda. What's the point? Eat the real thing. Eat in moderation. Be mindful of where your meat comes from. But eat real food made well and responsibly. Uh, And David writes, I've been eating vegan plant-based for five years, and buying alternative meats has been a lot like how omnivores buy luxury meats. It's a luxury. Though my family and friends are not vegan, they love my meat alternative cooking. This Thanksgiving, I cooked a store-bought tofurkey and got a mostly positive reaction. This goes to say, in my opinion, that eating plant-based every now and then can benefit not only your health or the environment, but also benefit open-mindedness. Let me go to Merly in San Jose. You're on, Merlee. Thank you so much for addressing this subject. I'm
3: super excited about it as a born and raised vegetarian my whole life. I actually switched over to eating meat in my 30s. Um, the rest of my family remained vegetarian and it was you know, we were raised that way for religious reasons. So for me it's an ethical quandary. Mm-hmm. And it was a very difficult decision to make the choice to actually eating real meat versus faux meat, which is all I've ever known my entire life. Um, and I did it for the health of it, think, you know, feeling that something less processed and what your body is intended to um Digest is probably better for you in the long run versus the faux meats out there. But I, you know, once cultured meat came along, I've always I was very excited about that because it you know takes away the kind of ethical quandary that's presented by killing an animal you know mm. to have its meat. So I, I did a loose poll amongst my family members, and about half said that they would uh, try cultured
4: meat. Do you mean like cultivated yeah, meat? Happened. When you say cultured meat, you mean cultivated nope. meat, right? Yep. I just couldn't couldn't wrap themselves around it. <laughs> and I myself am,
3: am excited to try it. I just, to me, it's the perfect like Amy was saying. Um, you know, you, you want to stay with me because you love it and it's good for you. Um, but the ethics involved, you know, it's.
4: Taking a such a hard choice. So 50-50 in your family, Merlee. Amy, I'm curious, what would the price point be for something like cultivated chicken? It is expensive, as I understand it, especially right now, to make in the lab. It really is a timing question. I would say our
3: absolute north star is to be at parity with conventional meat or better. Um, In the near term, when we're operating at smaller scales and still ramping up, it will unfortunately be at a price premium. Um, So think of it in sort of smaller batch, it will be in restaurants, it'll be premium price, sort of a free range organic or a small premium to that. And over time, both as conventional prices increase, and as we continue to scale up and have more economies of scale, um, you'll see those two lines cross. So I'm optimistic and it's an absolute focus because we know that to have the impact that we ultimately want to have. We need to be a product that is broadly accessible, uh, not only in terms of the versatility and the taste and the deliciousness, but also in terms of cost.
4: Well, the sister writes rights with that. A I want to hand... comment too. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah. I was just going to say, I think the straw poll uh, of 50, 50 <laughs> is not far off. What we've seen uh, is everywhere from 50 to 80 or 90%, depending on the country and the demographic of folks are interested in cultivated meat and trying it. And what's interesting is two things. one, the more people learn about cultivated meat, the more excited they are about trying it. Um, and secondly, the younger people are from a generational perspective, the more open they are. So I think there's more awareness and uh, more of a sense that our food choices and our life choices can impact the environment and a willingness and a commitment to make decisions
4: based on that. Well, the Zisner writes, with a handful of cells, how many pounds of chicken can you create? You
3: know, it's actually kind of amazing. It's um, I have the team doing, I think, from uh, the cells from a single chicken, it's at least 100,000 chickens. Um, and when you start thinking about 100 chickens or something, it's like more cells than in the galaxy or something. I mean, the exponential factor is very, very broad here. Um, and so I think the promise really is that you can take samples from a single chicken um, and produce tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds. Um, and that's a, a metric that we continue to
4: work against. So that really has implications for the... F- food supply, potentially, I imagine you get that question, like you could create so much more from so little.
3: That's right. And long term, what we've been seeing in, um, as was pointed out earlier, there's countries like Israel um, in the Middle East, um, other countries like Singapore that have challenges in terms of conventional food agriculture from a resource perspective that have honed in on cultivated meat as an opportunity for food security. Um, and frankly, as the population of the world continues to grow dramatically, demand for meat is increasing, and the resources that we have are not. Um, so, this ultimately is an important piece of the puzzle in my mind to allow humans to continue to thrive, to have the meat that they love in a way that actually works for planet
4: for the planet as well. Hmm. Well, let me go to, thank you. Let me go to caller Joey in San Francisco. Go ahead, Joey, you're on.
6: Hi. Um, I just wanted to share, uh, another alternative meat, uh, that is truly plant-based. And, and, and that is the, um, the, uh, oh, now I'm having <laughs> it on hold for so long. I forgot that it's, um,
4: jackfruit is that right i'm Uh, seeing this in the notes here
6: yeah yeah jackfruit so it uh if you cook up jackfruit and i had this at a taqueria in um arizona in tucson and it was really remarkable how close to carnitas it was the texture the flavor and it was simply just uh slow roasted dried out a little bit and then sauteed up with some
3: spices and it was fantastic and it was incredibly satisfying And I just thought uh, people should know about that option as well.
4: Well, thanks for telling us about it. As we do look ahead and as we talk about finding newer, maybe better alternatives, cultivated meats and so on, Julian, I understand that uh, people are looking at seafood, alternative seafood, and that even your students have been working on perfecting a scallop. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of trying to do seafood
6: yeah i mean i think there's lots of other potential alternative protein sources we haven't talked about like insect foods and microbial foods but, no, we, we, but we've been working with uh you know sort of seafoods um and at some of my students i had a japanese student who was really excited about doing plant-based seafood and um we, we made this thing that looked exactly like scallops and they cooked exactly like scallops and had the same texture as scallops and they were made out of basically um, peas and um, oranges, so it's like pectin from orange skin and uh, the protein from peas. So just using those two ingredients, we use what's called soft matter physics to organize these components into structures that simulated the um, the muscle fibers that you would normally get in in real scallops.
4: And Laura, I am curious if you could just broaden out a little bit and tell us what is happening with regard to alternative seafood and, and how that sector is doing in terms of its status of whether and when it can go mainstream.
5: Well, it hasn't been embraced nearly to the same degree. And and I think there are some, some solid reasons for that. I mean, for one, I think that a lot of us have real empathy for land mammals. You know, we relate to them. We feel a kinship with them. And I think that there is a lot more... Um, angst about eating land mammals, um, and I think the ocean because it all happens out of out of sight. You know, I don't think that we all have a a firm conviction. We don't we don't relate to shrimp, say. You know, we don't have a lot of empathy there. Um, but uh, in the U.S., the biggest consumed seafoods are are salmon and shrimp. So if we can get really good facsimiles of those. It would be enormous in uh, helping to reestablish the health of the oceans. It hasn't hasn't happened. There haven't been seafood companies that have scaled or had quite the success as 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 companies like Impossible and Beyond. But there are a lot of people working on it. Um, so you know, it remains to be seen. I think that that there might be a little bit more of a yuck factor there. You know, I think that um, also. Uh, because seafood, especially in the case of something like salmon, is often eaten, it's consumed as a whole filet, without it's not an ingredient in a big jumble of other things, or it's not on a bun. So it may be that the tech involved in creating those, those whole muscle cuts for seafood isn't quite as evolved as it needs to be.
4: Laura Riley is business of food reporter for The Washington Post. Julian McClements is distinguished professor of food sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, author of Meatless, The Next Food Revolution. And Amy Chen is COO of Upside Foods. And you are listening to Forum. I'm a Kim. Let me go to Christina next. Christina in Mill Valley, you're on.
3: Uh, hi, I just had a quick question because I would love to have alternative meats to save the lives of the animals. And I'm curious, though, since essentially what you'll be eating with the cultivated meats is the nutrients you're feeding that that culture.
4: Are the are the nutrients organic? Are they non-GMO? Um, and that's that's my question. Yeah, thanks, Christina. Amy, for you, the nutrients fed to cultivated chickens. Good good question. It's a mix,
3: uh, and I think the answer is that the technology is flexible to allow for the entire range. Um, So cell lines can be genetically modified, or they could be non-genetically modified. And in the same way, most of the nutrients are pretty um, common. So things like salts and sugars, glucose, um, some of them right now are amino acids, for example, that are produced by yeast. Some of those, again, involve a genetic modification or genetic engineered strains, and some do not. Um, So I would say it's a little bit of a mix there. Um, I think the focus has been right now on how do you develop and Deliver the most amazing, um, tasty, delicious products. Um, I think some of the work to ensure that there is no GE in the process is probably one click further behind.
1: Well,
4: we're getting some comments coming in. Mio or Mayo writes, My main disappointment with plant-based meats is I cannot take the salt and seasoning out. It may be necessary for preservation purposes, but how am I supposed to season this product into a classic Greek moussaka or Swedish meatball if they all come pre-seasoned and pre-salted? Drew writes, I stopped eating Impossible Burgers because they contain more saturated fat than beef burgers. Tanya writes, Cultivated meat is a great alternative for those who already eat meat. Meat eaters need to switch to this if they can't tolerate vegetarian alternatives. I'm happy eating quinoa and lentils. Cultivated meat, while it sounds weird and gross, is better than factory farms. Lou writes, basically a steer is a bioreactor. So what has the highest yuck factor? A big smelly animal walking in its own fecal matter and swarming with flies or an FDA-cleared stainless steel tank in a sterile warehouse? Tony similarly writes, I'm on board for cultivated meat. Regarding yuck factors, the choice between a slaughterhouse and a lab is clear for me. Julian, we've been talking about creating more food from a few cells uh, and so on and also trying to find things that uh, taste like meat are we also just looking at creating new foods generally you talked a little bit about um about dairy and so on but i'm just wondering about any other uh, ver- any other types of food products besides those kind of i would say dairy-ish meaty-ish ones that people are looking to try to replicate and do a lot of a lot more of from maybe a small amount even in the cultivated sense too
6: yeah, I mean, it's quite funny because we're looking at quite traditional foods. We're either looking at animal-based foods like meat, fish, egg and milk, or we're looking at, you know, things like tofu or, or seitan and tempeh. But I think, you know, we can make, you know, we, from food ingredients, we can make any kind of protein to make the centrepiece of your, of your plate. So we could make, you know, huge um, orange spheres that were sort of soft and squidgy, or we can make big purple um, pyramids that were like hard and um, crunchy. So I think we're just limited by our imagination. So I think in the future, maybe we will have a much more interesting plate where we can really design sort of health and wellness and sustainability and ethics into these products and also make something unique and um, uh, imaginative.
4: And Laura, we were hearing some concerns about plant-based alternative meats, meat-like plant-based meats in terms of salt, saturated fat, and so on. I am curious what you think companies can do better now, things that they really should be looking at with regard to trying to bring more people in um, that would be helpful to them.
5: Well, it's just a matter of time before they, they dial back the salt, but they add micronutrients. um, They, you know, find ways of, of suspending, uh, you know, like texturally making it great without having a lot of saturated fat. So, It's just a matter of time. I mean, I think that they launch these products trying to get them as close to the real thing. But as we become less fixated on that as consumers, there's no reason they can't be much more nutritionally dense, um, much less fatty, much less salty. Etc. Um, that yeah. that is just a matter of time. And I mean, I think that we also have to consider there are lots of um, unknowns in our near future. I mean, we just lost this year, 50 million chickens, mostly laying hens and turkeys uh, due to avian flu. We've had um, African swine fever wipe out the whole herd of, of swine in China a few years ago, and it's crept closer and closer to North America. I mean, it's in the Dominican Republic and and some other places. so. You know there are lots of animal illnesses on the horizon or that we've kind of encountered to a smaller degree that could ratchet up that would really kick start some of this um, innovation and and provide a lot more incentive to adopt.
4: Well, Lynn writes, I've been a vegetarian for forty years, and I would not be interested in cultivated meat. I can't see how it can ever be more environmentally friendly than growing a chicken. Another listener tweets: "I think cultivated meat will become as normal as turning away from gas vehicles and embracing electric cars. Both may take many decades to have worldwide adaptation, though." Amy Chen, really quick, what is the very first thing you're doing now that you have this FDA approval to try to get cultivated meat out on the market?
3: Um, as Laura said, we are busy working with the USDA now to complete the approval, um, and we will be launching as soon as we complete all those steps, but. Uh, working with Dominique Crenn and her team at uh, Atelier Cren, which is a three Michelin starred restaurant out in the Bay Area, to develop some amazing recipes that will introduce cultivated meat to the world.
4: Amy Chen, Chief Operating Officer at Upside Foods in Emeryville. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Julian, Julian McClements, Distinguished Professor in Food Sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, the College of Natural Sciences. Dr. McClements, so glad to have you on with us as well.
6: It's been fantastic being on the show. Thanks for having me.
4: Laura Riley is Business of Food reporter for The Washington Post. Laura, really appreciate hearing your insights as well. Oh, thanks, Nina. It's been a treat. We've been talking about where alternative meats are headed and whether they're good for us and the planet from hammer's chicken tenders to cultivated chicken. Grace Wan produced today's segment. Thank you listeners for sharing your insights, experiences and even some recipes as well. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.